All right. So this should be an interesting uh, Skype call. <laughs> Not so much that I don't agree, but I just want to challenge and help you refine your hypotheses. I see. All. So you're being our rabbrist. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Okay. We'll work with that, you know. <laughs> Welcome to Changing Platforms, a podcast discussing the various aspects of migrating from one technology platform to another. I'm Keita. And I'm Jason. And in addition to Keita and I, we have a guest today. So why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Olusei Shonara. I'm based in the New York City metro area, and I'm excited to be here today. We're excited to have you. And as we've explained in previous episodes, all three of us currently use a lot of Apple hardware and software. And Kate and I are both looking at leaving these popular tools behind and possibly returning to Linux. Hopefully, with the help of these discussions, we'll have the opportunity to share ideas and explore the feasibility of abandoning commercially supported unified ecosystems for something reminiscent of the technology scene some 30 years ago. Olushe, you have voice some concerns about how Keita and I have been approaching our discussion. So yes, let me hand the mic over to you. What are some of your concerns? Perhaps both Keita and I can address some of these issues. Okay. Well, the first thing is that you're both using Apple platform technology currently and apparently quite satisfactorily. And your concerns are not necessarily technical for the most part. There are a few product-related concerns, maybe on the hardware side. But even after all your evaluation, most of your hardware options remain with the Apple selection of products. So we're going to set aside the physical constraints of, of our Apple hardware and instead look at concerns about the evolutions of the platform. A lot of people feel that maybe Apple's moving away from, you know, power users or prosumers or non-consumption uses and that uh, the, the Mac is not long for this world. That may or may not be so, but if you're going to, this is a future consideration. And if you are looking to the future and, and building a contingency plan for what software platforms you will use in the future, shouldn't you also be looking at futuristic workflows? It seems like a lot of the time you're trying to recreate your present and past workflows on alternate platforms. And to me, that's not progress. Like we should be trying to get better at every juncture. So I'm trying to get a better sense of what are the actual tasks that you're trying to do? Forget what software is presently available or what solutions are prevalently available. The question is what solutions would you prefer to be available? Because my belief is that ultimately open source is the repository of common and commodity functionality. That things move from a point where they're novel and therefore you can extract rents from them in the marketplace to a place where they're commonplace. And then open source implementations become the dominant uh, version. So I think a lot of the you know, productivity uh, functionality you're looking for will ultimately be resident in open source and therefore will be available in high quality for Linux in the future. So kind of be looking for where your paths intersect up ahead rather than focusing on making a lateral pivot in the now. I don't know what you guys think about that. 
Jason, do you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I can go first. So leaving the hardware stuff aside, um, looking at just the software, if we're always thinking about the future, um, I don't know about you, I'm very bad at uh, knowing what's going to be happening in five years' time. Uh, I try to plan for the future as much as I can, but it's just not very realistic. Five years ago, I didn't think I was going to be where I am today. Um, that being said, uh, I will admit over the last five years, how I use a computer has completely changed. Five years ago, it was 100% text-based, uh, blog posting and coding, that was it. All of which was performed relatively well on a, uh, a, on a Windows machine. Um, since then, it's completely evolved so that now I do a lot more image editing. I do a lot of podcasting, which I thought was a joke five years ago, <laughs> <laughs> and things of that sort. So if I'm planning in the future, looking for where Linux software, whether it's open or closed source, um, looking for where the Linux platform will be ready to take me, so to speak, I, I just don't see that happening in the near future unless... I'm the one making those tools to make it happen. That's a, that's a perfectly fair um, point. One of the limitations, uh, one of the failures, let's just come out and say, of open source has been the overemphasis on technical contributions solely in the form of code. And therefore, it hasn't had enough of a product-driven uh, development. There hasn't been enough of a QA, usability, user experience-driven uh, emphasis on development. It's just like, you know, scratch your own back and RTFM kind of stuff. And so if you can't build the software artifact yourself, your contributions are marginalized. But I think that it's, it, again, I'm being optimistic here. I think that if people who have specific goals, who do have software skills, but more importantly, have user experience expectations, begin to participate and contribute and drive direction, not just for a specific tool or a specific product, but you know, speaking more broadly within the community, hopefully we can start to see a shift in attitudes. And, and I'm going to throw out one thing that I'm noticing also is that where five, 10, 15 years ago, the dominant attitude in technical forums was a kind of, you know, uh, pull up your pants, be tough, you know, uh, take, take the lumps, you know, because I went through this hard time. I read that 6,500 page FAQ and you should too. And now it's getting a little friendlier and people are a little bit more interested in helping others to you know, learn how to use the tools and presenting quality documentation. So I think that that change is is pointing to a possible really great opportunity in the near future to better meet the needs of people like you who feel that commercially driven systems that are led by proprietary corporate interests don't satisfy their own technical requirements, which I agree with. But I want to hear what Keita has to say to all this. <laughs> yeah, I, well, just to kind of put on to that point, um, that, that was a really good uh, point there because I think compared to five, ten years ago, even uh, writing the code has got it a lot easier. Like, you know, there are new languages, new um, technologies, tools that we can use to help us uh, write these really complex programs. Um so having more people who are able to code or able to contribute to these open source 
open source programs would be really helpful mm -hmm. uh, in the future, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, Ubuntu is mm -hmm. doing a lot to make this happen a little bit faster. Uh, with a lot of what they've been doing in the last two years, they've got their uh, scopes and whatnot, and they're really pushing uh, UI as an important thing, something that developers should be thinking about right from the word go. But one of the mm -hmm. nice things that Ubuntu is doing, well, it's kind of nice. What, what they're doing is essentially packaging the web as an app. Um, and so people are able to use HTML, CSS, and JavaScript in their apps, and pretty mm -hmm. much making uh, essentially a locally run web app, uh, which has hooks into the uh, file system and things of that sort. By doing this, people who have web experience will be able to come in and design applications that are responsive, depending on the size of the screen that they're being displayed on or the size of the window, um, as well as having the other benefits of uh, cleaner designs. You can very easily go to Stack Overflow or wherever the heck you want to copy-paste CSS and JavaScript in order to get things working just the way you want. So that's one nice thing. And if the project is open, then it will be easy for anybody to just make a, a pull on GitHub, grab the source, make some edits, and possibly contribute something uh, better that would make the application better for everybody. So that's one nice thing about what Ubuntu is trying to do. It's been a long time coming, but they are making headway in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I've had the opportunity. Uh, I'm sorry. Were you going to say some more about that, Keita? Oh, no. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. Oh, well, I had the opportunity to install uh, Ubuntu uh, late last year um, and use it for a very brief uh, interval um, before I had to repurpose that machine again. And yes, they have made some uh, strides there. But there was something you said in the previous episode that I thought was really interesting. And it was part of your asides where you were saying it was almost like you know, I think you were being particularly critical of KDE and saying they were taking some of the worst bits of Windows and just trying to replicate <laughs> that. Well, part of the problem here is that, uh, you know, open source software presents a, a, an opportunity to, to re-examine many of the fundamental assumptions, right? So you think about the Unix model, a lot of low-level utilities that pipe together through a common interface, which is the terminal, the shell environment to allow you to create complex workflows. But then you think of GUI tools and it's these massive application silos that do their own file rendering and file opening and file serialization and browsing and all these different things. And the best you have for working together is a kind of copy paste, you know, kludging. And, and I think that we need someone with the vision to say, pause, why are we even doing this? Like what drives that model is the saleability of these massive application silos. But if you're looking at an open source model where the primary concern is no longer mercantile or commercial, but functional, maybe there's a different way for us to build our applications. And that gives us flexibility to edit a wide variety of content and not have to deal with one of Jason's major bugbears, which is awful interfaces. 
You can have a <laughs> you can have a uniform, aesthetically pleasant interface, and all when you want to support a new content type, you only need to do the rendering for your content type. Everything else, the application Chrome and how it fits into a document, whether it's a timeline document or you know bounds delimited uh, delimited documents, you know textual image, those will already be handled for you by the container. So. There's a lot of opportunity to change. And then, of course, you have to define the ability to export file formats to towards legacy systems. Otherwise, you won't be able to work with anybody. But I really think that when, when you start to move away from these legacy, very, you know, Windows for work groups mentalities about how applications are structured and should run, then you really become able to meet the needs of people who are trying to be productive and efficient and who don't care about the politics and proprietary concerns of an Adobe or Autodesk or Apple. You know what I mean? I think that will take a little bit more time uh, to come around. Um, speaking from my own personal experience, like that would be wonderful. <laughs> um, but when I create an application, truth be told, I honestly don't think that way off the top of my head. Um, I'm thinking mainly in terms of functionality and then everything gets glommed together. Um, so for me to create an application, I would have to keep that in mind right from the word go and build that way. And I can't speak for every developer, but I think a lot of developers think the same way. We're accustomed to thinking about applications as as these silos, as you said. But yeah, if we can begin to go forward and really open the stuff up so that if somebody wants to take... For example, if, if I make a podcasting application for Ubuntu, if somebody were to take just the core, ditch the UI and slap their own UI on there, not as a skin per se, but as a proper, um, as a proper UI interface um, or overlay, then that would, be, that would be ideal. Yeah, and I think that's really a bit of what I'm curious about. Like, is the purpose here just to pick from the available you know, all equally compromised options, you know, kind of the least bad of the offerings available to us? Or is it to kind of set a series of aspirations and then select the platform that most allows us to move continuously toward those aspirations? So that's a little bit of, of the uh, the questions and, and uh, clarification I was seeking in choosing to come on, on, on the show and, and ask you guys that. Yeah, and that's a valid point, um, because looking, I, I know I said I'm not very good at looking into the future, but looking into the future, uh, <laughs> one of the things that I would really like to do is move away from this model, this current model that we have with a lot of our commercial software, where the stuff that I do is not necessarily being spied on, but it's being recorded by other machines. Um now, I understand if I go on the internet, anything I do online is fair game. I completely understand that. But some of the things that I don't like is that if I'm doing something on my own machine, um, I don't need, insert company name here, to know what I'm doing with that machine. Um, so if I want to play, I don't know, if I want to play Doom 2 on my phone or whatever the heck for five and a half hours, that information should not leave that machine. And mm -hmm. while a lot of machines currently don't send those kinds of stats, I believe, uh, to third-party servers, it's only a matter of time before we start seeing things of that sort. Um, 
Windows 10 sends a, a remarkable amount of information back to Microsoft if you let them. Now, you can go and shut this stuff off. It's relatively painless um, if people know how to do it. But Microsoft is collecting a large amount of information in order to, according to them, in order to make better decisions for future interface designs, for future benefits, so to speak. Uh, Microsoft usually is not very good at taking this information and spamming us to death with it, which is really good. Um, Facebook and other companies are very good at turning our data against us, so to speak. But still, I don't want Microsoft to know that I'm playing Doom 2 for five and a half hours on my Sunday. And they don't do this really yet, but it's only a matter of time. Same thing with Apple. Apple is sending a lot more information back to their servers for iCloud and things of that sort. Um, Google, anything you do on any Google device will go back to Google in some form. So I want to move away from that. I, I really miss the days where a computer was essentially an island. It was its own thing. And then when you mm -hmm. did connect to a network, then yes, anything you did outside of that was recorded. But still, the machine was an island unto itself. That's what I'm really looking forward to. That's what I'm trying to drive towards. And I believe the only way for me to do this, aside from buying an ancient machine with, say, Snow Leopard and going back to the days of Snow Leopard before iCloud started getting its hooks built into the OS, um, or going with, say, Windows 95, which I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. <laughs> um, <laughs> unless I go down those routes, going with these abandoned platforms, the only way for me to go forward and have proper data security, to have proper system security and modern hardware is to go down the route of Linux. Um, and one could argue, I'll be done my rant in a sec, uh, one could argue that Ubuntu um, has also been going down the route of spyware when they rolled out their um, Unity search engine and they had the search where you would just very similar to on uh, OS 10, you would type in a little bit of the application that you wanted and then it would appear. But at the same time, it would go and search Amazon. So if I was typing in, I don't know, socks, um, because I want socks browser or something of that sort, then I would also see a six pack of socks um, from Amazon in the search results. And a lot of people didn't like that. Um, so the next version of Ubuntu will shut that off. But one could argue that all modern OSs are going down this route where they are very, very dependent on these third-party systems. Yeah. But that's what I want to get away from. Yeah. Okay. So I first, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> that's, that's another one of my uh, motivations for moving to Linux. But um, one big thing is that that stuff, like that, that kind of analytics, that works. You know, I mean, the crash reports those are really helpful for the uh, developers who make the applications. And if you don't send anything back, then, you know, they're not going to know how to fix the bugs unless you report them. And history has uh, shown us that uh, regular people won't report bugs at all, you know? Crash reports are crash reports. We have the option to send or not send them. Um, general usage uh, statistics, though, that tends to get sent in the background. We have no idea what is being sent. Right. Uh, a a, a right. very good so example that's... of this would be my stupid Panasonic DVR. I hate that damn thing. 
uh, because the second it was connected right. to a network, it started sending viewing history, the stuff that my wife was watching. It started sending that crap to Panasonic. And in the Panasonic uh, manual, if you take a look, I think it was on page 135 in like very fine kanji fine prints, like I needed a magnifying glass to actually read the damn thing. It said that the DVR will send your viewing history and mute history and recording history back to Panasonic. What What the heck? I can't swear. Um, what What the heck does Panasonic uh, need with that kind of information? I don't want them to know that I watch Mezumashi today be in the morning. I don't want them to know that my wife is recording Furuhatu Ninzaburo. Um, if we choose to share that information, that's our choice. But we don't even have the option with a lot of the appliances that we're buying. And so our computers are spying on us, our DVRs are spying on us, and the damn thing's no longer plugged into the network. Our TVs are spying on us, connected fridges are going to be spying on us. We have very little control about what information is leaving for the sake of convenience. And if an app developer is going to be a little inconvenienced because they don't know that I'm spending five and a half hours playing Doom 2, well, TFB. Um <laughs> seriously because it's my decision it should always be my decision but there's so many decisions that are taken out of the hands of the human and made by people who think they know better and history has shown time and again that whenever anybody thinks they know better than somebody else they're wrong so yeah i don't want <laughs> this level of stuff um, I, I really i would really much rather have everything off by default and then if i choose Okay, then I will tell Panasonic that I'm watching these TV shows. Then I can actually begin making these decisions um, like an adult, rather than paying a lot of money for this equipment and having no say in what that equipment does to me and my liberties. So it's interesting because it, I, I seem to see almost a cycle of uh, expansion and contraction that happens in computing in that you think of the very first computers and they were very localized machines that did things in isolation. I'm talking, you know, adding machine babbage and all that ENIAC, stuff. Woo. Punch cards. <laughs> ENIAC, exactly. All of that. Very isolated machines that did things on their own. And then they gained capacity, but they were still very large and expensive. And so what did we add? We added, you know, teletypes, we added timeshare abilities so that remote users could submit batch jobs over the network to have their work done and then get the responses back. But then that computing power continued to multiply and it became so much more available locally that we diminished the aspect of the network and built up the workstation in isolation. But then again, the network has now grown and so now we're going back towards a lot more stuff being remote, server-based, client-server, uh, distributed, peer-to-peer, -peer, and taking advantage of essentially the dispersed computing power, storage, and things that are available across the network. And I wonder if that won't again flow back the other way as some other development accelerates the amount of value available locally to exceed the, the non-local quantity. So I think that there will continually be a back and forth to some extent there. Um, but the aspect of uh, the spying, the observation on our habits and things, those are just side effects of capitalism. And so are all the impetuses that are driving you to you know, hedge your bets on Apple. Your concerns are driven by the feeling that Apple's 
corporate goals are not aligned with your personal technological needs, right? And, and that's a much larger philosophical issue. And again, this is why when, you know, in the, in the beginning, you started out with, oh, we're looking at Linux, but then you start to mention, well, you know, maybe we'll throw in a little Windows here. How about some wine? And you start to compromise because you're now going from one corporate overlord towards another. And so that's what I was trying to get some clarity. Like, what's the what's the real fundamental philosophy here? Because if the fundamental philosophy is I want to have computing systems where I exercise end-to-end control over what happens on them, what information is collected, and what information leaves them. When I go into a browser and access a remote resource, you carry my implicit approval to share the information of that act because it is a remote resource. But if I do anything that is entirely on my device, I need to be notified and I need to explicitly grant permission for that to leave my machine. And if that is the kind of philosophy that animates your your decision-making, then Windows cannot be an option. Windows almost isn't an option. Yeah, it absolutely should be Linux. And that means that even given, you know, present limitations in, in productivity on Linux, which incidentally are currently still met by OS X, what you have to do is make a progressive transition toward Linux as functional gaps are filled in. So that's where I'm, I'm curious. In the perfect world, or in a perfect world, I agree. Um, leaving all of the corporate operating systems behind would be ideal. In the short term, that is, of course, going to be very, very difficult. Agreed. So looking at this, again, long term, at the moment, um, I can't speak for Keta, but it for the moment, I am using a pretty good 70% of all of my software uh, being OS ten stuff. Or, well, actually, the only stuff I use on iOS is the browser now. Uh, but to move to Linux um, would require a huge investment in time. Of course, changing platforms does require a large investment in time. Um, luckily, moving data is no longer as painful as it used to be, especially when you've got a big NAS, which doesn't care what the clients are using. Right. Um, luckily, interfaces are pretty much standardized, um, so there's no longer a big learning curve, so to speak, when you're going from one platform to another. There's a couple of small keyboard things, but nothing painful. But that being said, if I were to move completely to Linux, which I will admit is something that I really would like to do, what I would need to do, and I can't remember if I said this in a previous episode, is basically I would need to take a year off of all of my projects. Because for one year, I will be recreating a lot of the tools that I need to do what I want to do. And this kind of comes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the show, talking about recreating processes on other platforms. It's not so much that I want exactly what I have on OS X on Linux, because if that were the case, then I might as well just stick with OS X. Um, but looking at what I do, I don't have, just just me personally, I don't have the vision to see beyond what I'm currently doing to say what I want to do in the future beyond this. Like th- This is one of the bouncing back and forth, like the, the, the seesawing or 
sitting on the fence that I've been doing for months and months and months, should I or shouldn't I? Because one of the nice things about switching from Windows to OS X, aside from not having to lose all of my uh, language work with those stupid square boxes, uh, aside <laughs> from that, the learning curve was almost non-existent. It took me two days to get accustomed to OS X, um, and then as I learned more about the gestures and things of that sort, it, it became like a second skin. I actually feel hobbled when I go back to Windows because I can't use touchpads the same way. Um, using Linux, the great thing about Linux is that, well, for my Ubuntu install, I've told Ubuntu how to handle the touchpad the exact same way. So the swiping works the same way, multiple desktops, blah, 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 all that boring stuff uh, for most people, but crucial for me. Going beyond and creating a different kind of workflow, one that works more closely with Linux. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going with this, but <laughs> at, at the end of the day, it's going to require a phenomenal amount of time. And I understand somebody has to do that. Somebody has to take those steps. Um, when I listen to people who do Ubuntu podcasts or any Linux-based podcast from a Linux machine, everybody's using that the Audacity stuff. I can never remember the name. Oh, the audacity. It, it, indeed. The audacity not to remember audacity. It, indeed. But <laughs> it would be nice. Like, I, I will admit, from a ego point of view, it would be great if I could be the one that brought a really good podcasting app to Linux, whether it's Ubuntu or Mint or Cinnamon or whatever flavor it's going to be. Um, that would be great. It would be huge for the ego, and everybody would say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, if I'm lucky. Most Probably it would just be a bunch of bug reports like with 10 centuries, but <laughs> um, like this, this would be great. This would be absolutely great. But then comes the question, okay, if I do switch to Linux, do I want to be one of the people who takes the plunge and puts aside all existing projects for a year in order to build new, to work on new projects, uh, to build the functionality that I need? Is this what I want to do? And at the moment, I'm looking at the situation saying, wait, I have no experience with working with images uh, beyond like the very basic stuff, uh, like resizing and whatnot. Mm. I can do that in, in a shell. I can deal with that. Um, audio editing, I have no idea how to handle that properly. So I'm talking about, or I'm not really talking about, but I'm considering like the huge learning curve that I'll have ahead of me to go and learn all the stuff that I don't know in order to build an application to do what I can already do. Is it worthwhile? There's, there's one thing, however, which is that I guarantee you that you're not the only person that's thinking about these things. And if someone like you, who has a demonstrated proven track record of delivering on software, can create a project which is meant to, you know, round out all these given areas, you may attract other people who have those competencies. And so then it becomes a shared burden, but also shared benefit as you move closer to this ideal system that is free of the commercial and you know strategy tax encumbrances of the present uh, alternatives and is more ideally suited to delivering the kind of work that you and similar people want to do. And I, I really want to know what Keita thinks about is, I mean, his, his needs are, again, much uh, more specified, much uh, narrower in this respect. But, you know, yeah. what do you think, Double K? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so for me, basically everything that I need to do already exists on Linux. Um, text editors, servers, um, development tools, whatever. You know, you know, like all of those things are already there. So, And I already have quite a bit of experience with the tools that I would be using. So it's not a big problem for me. <laughs> um, but I realize that I'm a, a very, uh, I don't know, not maybe not a very special case, but a pretty special case where I use most of the tools that I would use anyways. Um, it doesn't matter which operating system they're running on. Um, I think for me, the bigger problem would be uh, well, for example, we were talking about iCloud a little bit earlier, but obviously there's no way to access iCloud on Linux. Well, you can access it through the browser, but that's obviously not, you know, you know you're not going to get the, the native experience like you do on OS X with, you know, the Photos app or Contact Sync or even, I don't know, you know, stuff like that. So I would be missing out on a lot of those things, especially if I continue using an iPhone, which I probably will, um, just because, you know. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that's a brilliant point that you raised. You know, Jason, um, I know that you only use the browser on the iPhone right now. Um, but, you know, for a general purpose solution for yourself, for all your computing needs, what are you going to do about the synchronization between mobile and the desktop and the cloud and, and data and all those things? I know that you believe very much in self-hosted services and stuff like that to the extent that you can use them. But, for example, where are you going to put all your Nozomi pictures? Well, I've got all <laughs> of my Nozomi pictures on my NAS. No, this is something that I have been thinking about. I would really, really like to get my hands on a device that I can put Ubuntu phone onto because I want to see and I don't know if I don't know if I will go down the route of Ubuntu phone but I know that staying with Apple see the nice thing about Apple um, Kate and I have talked a lot about the benefits of staying with Apple because things are consistent you can usually trust it um, like to mm -hmm. work uh, which you can't necessarily do with other platforms the synchronization is really nice between iCloud. It's great that when you put in a new contact or when you put something into your calendar on one device, it synchronizes to the others. But we can do this with other systems. Like I have a own cloud server set up where I basically do that kind of synchronization with some things. Uh, photos on my phone will be synchronized to the own cloud. And then from there, my NAS will reach out to the own cloud, grab any new information excuse me, and bring it down. And then from there, it can synchronize properly with my notebook. It can synchronize with whatever the heck I want to synchronize it to. Now, I understand I am an edge case. Um, not not many people will actually go to this extent. Uh, <laughs> but this is something that I am thinking about. Like, how can I actually do this? Where essentially I'm all in. So if I'm not going to be relying on Apple, if I'm not going to be relying on Google or Facebook or anyone else to do these things... These are useful features. Um, I, I can't really go back to what we did in 1999. I, I can't. I can. I just choose not to. Um, I can't go back to that level of insecurity where if I take a bunch of pictures of Nozomi, the only place those pictures are until I swap out an SD card or 
plug it into a computer is on my phone. I, I don't want that level of insecurity. Um, so I do have ideas for own cloud. I can extend own cloud to do what I need to do. Uh, or if it comes right down to it, I can just build my own server. Um, it's not going to be a huge concern. Uh, contact synchronization, we've been doing this for longer than I've been alive. Um, so that's something that we could easily set up with own cloud or with, uh, heck, I think we can do that with just a standard Linux installation. Um, Mm-hmm. Mail, again, I can deal with that through self-hosted services. Right now I'm using Zoho for my primary mail just because, well, whitelists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> self-hosted mail is really hard because of all the blacklisting. But there there are solutions available. There are ways to get around this. It will not be easy at first, but I believe, and I, I talk a lot about Ubuntu, but I believe that's because the people at Canonical, um, yes, a corporate organization, are committed to making their platform the most user-friendly version of Linux. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, I I shouldn't use the word user, I'm looking for a human-friendly collection of software that allows me to do what I want to do without being monitored and while at the same time providing the stability that I have come to expect from modern hardware. Okay, I guess then, in conclusion, (laughs) I see your vision, and it is valid. The question then to you is this. Are you looking, when you, uh, as as concerns the the fundamental animating question of this entire podcast, uh, the existential reason we're here, are you looking at and in a complete and total switchover, one shot? Or are you willing to look at progressive transition where you gradually move more and more facets of your digital life and work from one set of platforms onto the other that better meet your targets? Because it seems that a hybrid of Linux and OS X today with a hybrid of perhaps Ubuntu phone and iOS today would completely cover your use cases. And you would gradually, as Linux, Ubuntu on the desktop, and Ubuntu phone continue to evolve, as they continue to evolve, you'd gradually be able to move more of your uh, tasks over from OS X and iOS and toward Linux. So to both of you, I, I wonder if that's the ultimate approach that you're interested in. Yeah, well, I don't know about uh, Jason, but at least for me, I know that I'm going to try out Linux for it's kind of be my sandbox for work, you know, doing development and stuff like that. And then for not exactly play, but, you know, like for uh, family things, you know, like organizing photos, um, maybe, you know, email or chat or whatever, I would probably still use my MacBook uh, running Mac OS X, um, at least at first. But, yeah, I don't know about you, Jason. Well, in my case, I cannot do a one-shot change, uh, mainly because that would mean I'd have a bunch of missing tools uh, (laughs) that I would need to very quickly create. So when I went from Windows to OS X, that I could just cut. Um, That was really easy to do because 
my network server at home is running, it's been running Ubuntu 12 for, well, since 2012. Um, and switching from Windows basically meant taking the stuff in my documents and moving it over to the Mac, shutting the Windows machine off and putting it in a closet, which is pretty much what I did. Um, that was a one-shot change. That's no longer possible um, because, like I said, um, I'm lazy and I don't want to <laughs> recreate all of my software on day one. It, it's just not very realistic. So slowly migrating is the way to go, I believe. Um, and yeah, one of the big reasons for this podcast, in, in addition to finding out, like, should I buy another Apple machine or, or should I seriously look at uh, going to another platform the the other question is like should i even bother going forward we can see how systems are going and for the longest time i've been maybe i've been a little too paranoid about where technology well not where technology is going because technology is fine it's how people are using technology how corporations are using technology Am I too paranoid about that? Because a lot of people just don't care. Um, whereas I invest a great deal of time into caring. Uh, behold my field, and it is very full. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there's the other question. Is it even worthwhile? Because, you know, OS X, for all of its warts, is still the best operating system I've ever used on a desktop machine. Um, Windows 10 comes very close. I, I do like Windows 10. There are a couple of things that still infuriate me when I'm using it, but for the most part, that is the best version of Windows Microsoft has ever put out, uh, in my opinion, which is great. Um, it's just I don't want to use that full time. Uh, I'll be doing that at work anyways. Linux is a hodgepodge. Um, sometimes you get, a lot of times you get really good code, but really sore interfaces um and since moving over to the mac i will admit i've become very very spoiled i'm accustomed to attractive looking interfaces um things that get out of my way and let me actually work that is something i don't want to give up and when i look at a lot of the interfaces on linux software it's just crowded. It, it's very crowded. It reminds me very much of Windows 98 and Windows XP, uh, just less colorful. So is it worth going to that platform now? Because that means intentionally frustrating myself uh, to the point where maybe I don't even want to use the computer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a lot of frustration. <laughs> I am a very frustrated person, uh, which is why, like, a lot of the frustration that I vent on online, a lot of it is in jest. Uh, I am joking a lot of times, which is why I've got those silly faces and the, the angry eyes and things of that sort. It, a lot of it is in jest. When I'm very angry, I just don't type. It's just not safe uh, for me to put any opinions online when I'm upset. But a lot of those those um, funny jokes that I put online, that's really how I feel um, about a lot of this stuff. Like, I, I really don't like ugly interfaces. 
um, anymore. I don't, and when I look, I'm going all over the place here, but I will admit when I look at my old software, the stuff that I wrote just four years ago, I cringe at the UI decisions I made because at the time, I never thought about it. At the time, the most important thing was the code. Look at how cool the code is. But the only problem was I was the only person with access to the source. So it didn't mm. matter how cool the code was. Nobody would freaking see it. Um, all mm -hmm. they saw was the interface and it was buggy and they would report bugs or inefficiencies. And then I would feel frustrated because of that. Um, after switching to Mac and after actually talking to people who use my software to say, what do you want? And then getting the feedback, then I started realizing, oh, look at that. The first 15 years of my programming life, I was doing it wrong. Uh, but <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where I'm going with this, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like do, do I want that level of frustration where my frustration is no longer a comical frustration? It's actually a serious frustration to the point where all of my projects go on hold because I have to fix the interface. And then at, at that point, it's no longer Ubuntu Linux. Now it's Nozomi Linux um, <laughs> because I would eventually create my own flavor. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I definitely deeply empathize with where you're coming from because I used to feel a lot of the same frustrations. And a large part of the kind of you know, zen-like, you know, guru acceptance that you now see emanating from my aura is about changing my habits and just accepting that this is where the technology is right now. And this is what it affords me right now. And how can I use what it is to do what I would like to do and what I need to do and, you know, minimize worrying about what it isn't. Um, but, you know, again... As uh, Keita said much earlier, I'm not a representative user. Like, my habits do not represent any, any majority. My habits are very peculiar and very limited. You know, for a software engineer, I don't really use a lot of technology at all. Um, so <laughs> I can get by on very little. Uh, I don't need a whole lot. You know, people, random people have so many more apps and, and workflows that they go through um, that I don't. Uh, so I, I understand that and I'm very reluctant to make any kind of broad uh, statements. So I understand where you're coming from, Jason. I really do feel for you. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I would, anybody would ever accuse any of us here of being the typical person. So... <laughs> <laughs> But I'd like to use Nozomi Linux, so keep working on that. <laughs> well, the last time I made an operating system was 1995. Um, I, I don't know if I want to do it again. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Kate, I guess you're going to get to uh, wrap this all up for us and put a nice bow on it. <laughs> yeah, well, let's see. So this month, uh, as we're recording is February and I'm probably going to start switching my work stuff over to at least in a VM um, sometime next month or the month after that or something like that. So um, as I do that, I mean, I guess we'll do more episodes and I'll probably write a few blog posts or something like that. And uh, we'll try to share uh, what kind of problems I'm having and, my experiences 
well, blog posts would be good. And since we are wrapping up, um, where can people find those blog posts? <laughs> uh, my blog is uh, kkob.us. Um, no www, you just go there. Um, you can find all of my other profiles there as well. Uh, Twitter, app.net. No 10 centuries? Email if you really want to. Uh, 10 centuries? <laughs> yes, uh, I'm just Keita there. All right. And Olushi, where can people find you online? Uh, my website is olushi.info. That's O-L-U-S-E-Y-I dot info. I'm on Twitter as olushi.info, fully spelled out. And I'm on app.net as olushi. I'm also on 10 centuries, but I'm still trying to integrate that. And, you know, I essay from time to time on very irregular schedules on my own site. So, you know, check it out. If you like it, drop me a line. If you dislike it, drop me a line even more so I can learn something from your counter perspectives. All right. And as for me, I am still on app.net as Matigo, M-A-T-I-G-O. And of course, I am on 10 Centuries, but you can also find me at matigo.ca, where I have a lot of my rambling blog posts. And that is it for this episode. It was probably a little bit long and rambly, but thank you very much for listening through it. If you have any feedback, please get in touch because, yeah, it's very interesting hearing other opinions and adding that to our own, very much like the board. <laughs> Space bar. Indeed. <laughs> All right, bye for now. Resistance is futile. Take care, guys.